0: full of amazing stories and the purpose of this podcast is to collect those stories from the people that live them. Where We Landed is a podcast that recognizes our whole history told by the individuals that live and love the small Indiana County.
1: Welcome back to the next episode of Where We Landed. We are here sharing all the great stories of Grant County and the great people that live here, um, helping people understand how amazing this community is. I am joined today by our co host, Kylie Jackson. Hey, everybody. And Iris Bronner. Hey, yo. And our special guest, who Iris will be introducing next. But we always start the episode with a little bit of fun. Kylie's got some where, oh, not where, but would you rather questions for us. We are all going to be answering those. So, guest, you are eligible to answer as well. So, Kylie, I'm going to turn it over to
0: you. Thanks, Alicia. All right. Like Alicia said, we're going to do a little would you rather, get to know each other a little better. Um, I feel like these are always pretty telling. They really tell you... um, Things you didn't know about people.
1: It makes me start questioning some of my friendships. Like,
0: I didn't have a mic last week, so I couldn't chime in. But all you that picked that you would be in a car with styrofoam boxes, I'm judging you.
1: Scott, <laughs> that's Scott and I, by the way. What was the, what's the no, song? I, I did the styrofoam too. Oh, did you? Yeah. you what's did?
0: the, what's the TikTok dance with the the oh, styrofoam, the, the Applebee's it's and the, the styrofoam? And the, yeah, that it makes my, it's it makes my skin crawl it. just thinking about the styrofoam squeaking in the back
1: (laughs) but it's not repetitive (laughs) alarm clocks are constantly repetitive all right all right that's too much okay okay,
0: okay. let's get to let's figure out how we're going to
1: annoy each (laughs) annoy each
0: other this week all right first would you rather would you rather be the circus person that the knife thrower throws knives at or the one who puts their head in the lion's mouth iris
1: Oh, she's got an ugly face on right now. She's, like, freaked out. Well, I don't trust either
2: one of them, so so I have trust issues.
1: Um, so I'm
2: going to choose the knife thrower. I don't know. They're both equally
0: rough. Equally terrifying. Mm-hmm. Alicia? I'm
1: choosing the knife thrower all the way. Oh. I don't know who's fed the lion that day, and I'm not even <laughs> pretending to do that.
0: All right. <laughs> true, Same. Wow.
1: You know Riley? Oh, no, you got to answer, too. I feel
0: like I could sweet-talk a lion. I,
1: <laughs> I mean, can, you are an animal talker.
0: We I, all love Chauncey. Yeah, I, I think I could talk a lion into not eating my head. <laughs> <laughs>
2: good luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to do either,
0: really. All right. Um, <laughs> so this one's good. <clears throat> Would you rather have an itch in the middle of your back all the time or an eyelash in your eye all the time? Let's go the opposite direction. Drew. True.
3: Um, neither, <laughs> I hate both of those <laughs> like, equally. They're the, the worst, aren't they? Uh, I would rather have uh, an itch in the back in the middle of my so back. you could like grizzly bear it, yeah, like I guess, than just a constant eyelash. just yeah, just yeah, yeah.
0: I, think, I think I'm with you on
3: that. At least, yeah,
1: I'm totally Drew on that one. Like, you can kind of do something about one. You can't do anything about this one, and it yeah. could scratch your cornea and all sorts of extra.
2: Incredibly issues. dangerous. And, well, You're very
0: right.
1: Dangerous.
2: <laughs> well, yep. I'm would invest in a back scratcher. Yes, mm. I agree.
0: Okay, last one. <clears throat> this one's. This one will be funny. Would you rather wear a tiara all the time, yep. or always wear a big fluffy white rabbit's tail? Oh, I'll,
2: I'll wear a tiara. I'm game. <laughs> I'm in.
0: All right. <laughs> that wasn't even like a tough one nope, for you. Nope. <laughs>
1: So, so I will say that if I'm thinking logically, I would totally wear the tiara. I had wear tiers. I've actually done done this by choice. That's my choice. So that's okay. But how much fun could you have with a bunny tail? (laughs) I mean, that just, I don't know. Create some stories. Yeah.
2: Right.
3: Yeah. uh, Easy for me. Um, (laughs) I was in Long Beach one time during a convention with furries.
2: Oh yes. yes. And, um, okay, wait, <laughs> wait. I'm uh, are going so, or not? No, going were so were you just, at
0: the furry convention? No, or I, you I was at happen- a different
3: conference there, and we stayed at the very same place. Sure. And Your face
1: is getting awful red. Of
3: <laughs> the elevator guy's dressed up like a cheetah, and he's, you know, and so just like. I would just rather wear the tear <laughs> <I'm just saying, laughs> Yeah, I just, just say
1: <laughs> I do not need that tail.
3: Yeah, I probably need the would tail.
1: I need to have that experience to yeah. just turn me off from yeah. that particular thing.
0: I mean before you said that, I was kind of all in on the furry tail because you could like you wouldn't see it when you're sitting, you could maybe disguise it a little, mm. but I don't I don't want that. You just terrified us all. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I might be on the I tiara might have been a train. Terrified myself <laughs> All right, well, I feel like I know all of you better, so thanks for that. Iris, do you want to introduce today's guest? Well, I
2: know you all are definitely dying to know who we have in the studio (laughs) now (laughs) and probably have additional questions about furries, so... I 100% expect each of you to be googling that as we uh, hit pause. Just go Google it real fast. You need an image. Um, but we are blessed today to have Pastor uh, Andrew Morell in studio with us today. Um, he is a great friend of mine. I've known him for a very long time. We were McCullough Bears together, right. so you know you guys can all have those images. I feel like I have a bone to pick with you too about something evil that you did to me one time, but we'll save that for a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Drew is a pastor at Real Community Covenant Church. He is a church planner, um, a master chef, maybe. I don't know if you have that title mm, yet, yet, but yet. He, <laughs> he knows how to throw down on a black stone. So I am so grateful that you're here with us today, Drew.
3: Thank you. I'm looking welcome. forward to your time.
2: Yeah, welcome, welcome. So, we want to just dive right in. I, well, do we need to just circle back on the furry thing, or we feel well, like we're you good?
3: Just, you
1: said I, something about McCullough bears. Yeah, and I kind of want to
0: hear. I kind of want to
3: hear that first. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, I, yep. I'm,
1: you get to talk about you get to talk about the furries. Like, what uh, were you yes. doing at a
0: conference? Yeah.
3: Again, a I wasn't at the furry conference.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to make it very clear. Uh, let's,
3: let's be clear here. All right. <laughs> I was at a conference. With pastors in Long Beach, and I happen to be staying at the Hyatt Regency Long Beach, and uh, and this is there's a huge convention center next door, and the furry group, <laughs> the, the group of furries, they're, they're just they're, they're adults who dress up like animals, like mm-hmm. real life. They were mm-hmm. there, and so they just you know in and out of the hotel throughout the day, going to different things, and mm-hmm. it was just it was just, uh, different,
0: yeah, it definitely is definitely
3: unique. Yep. And so, uh, um, just had some <laughs> encounters. <laughs> On, on the elevator I was sharing, and so I was not at the, at the top.
2: <laughs> okay, okay, we well, just shared space right. together. Right. I, I think we've hit our, our limit on the number of times we can say furries, too. So, <laughs> so, Drew, usually what we like to do is we like to just start off, we want to hear about you. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about your story. Um, our we we usually refer to you know folks that have grown up here in Grant County yeah. and Marion as lifers, yeah. or yeah. um. You are a lifer. Yeah, I'm a remainer.
3: A, a remainer. remainer. I was say, the
2: Others are boomerangs. Yeah, that grew up I'm, here, I'm but, but loved and came
1: back. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about how um, you, your family, how, how you started your journey here. Yeah, how you landed in Grant County.
3: So, um, my journey in Grant County. I mean, I, I'm here because of people who came here before me, right? So, uh, my journey in Grant County, in terms of historically in my family, begins in the um, Early 1800s, Uh, early 1800s, um, they were free blacks, Um, Pettifords, Pettiford family, if you know Pettifords and even Mm -hmm. Weavers, these are the same people. They were free blacks in North Carolina. And what happened was during the 1830s, 1840s, slavery began to get so bad that they began to enslave free blacks. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was uh, the Quakers during this same time, the Quakers, white Christians um, who were abolitionists um, they had uh, down there, they had declared, they had called all Quakers who had owned slaves to let them go and to pay, um, to pay uh, restitution to them as well. And there was also pressure on them from the government now, right? Mm-hmm. Because the slave yeah. owners did not like this. And so they came North. Um, some of my family came North with them, along with some Eastern Cherokee Indians, the story that has been told to each generation has been that we came here in 13 on 13 wagons. Uh, we came to, and, and some of the people who first bought land here in Marion were Quakers. Mm. Right. Um, and so they came here, um, couldn't live in the city of Marion in the town of Marion at that time. Uh, and so they, they moved out about seven miles South of Marion. It's still in Marion. If you take, uh, 37, uh, past 22, the very next county road is 650. You turn right there, go a mile down, and that is what is known as the town of Weaver. The community of Weaver is named after my great-great-grandfather, John Henry Weaver. And so what happened was, is they went there um, and they ended up buying land there. They were they were farmers in North Carolina. Uh, they were masons, uh, they, were const- they were construction workers. They had trades. And so they came here and they seen a swamp and they realized that this swamp, once it's drained, would be the most fertile soil to plant Farm on, and so brilliant people, and so they did that. Uh, they did that. Um, they started a church called Hills Chapel. Uh, past Reverend Hill, he was from Kentucky. He was the pastor of this church. Uh, they started a community. They had their own school. Uh, they had their own post office. They had their own store. Uh, they created a horse track in which uh, stories of five thousand people, even people from this from the town of Marion, would come out and watch these horses race during this time. Mm-hmm. And they also were very instrumental in the Underground Railroad. Um, Very instrumental. They were independent church. And then what happened during this time is the fourth bishop of the AME Church was traveling on horseback through the Midwest, looking for free black settlements during the 1840s so that they could be part of the AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which is very instrumental in the Underground Railroad. And they found this this settlement and said, listen, uh, y'all need to be part of the AME Church. And you need to be part of the Underground mm-hmm. Railroad, right? You need to you need to you need to to use your free black privilege to help to help, 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 help enslave yeah. blacks become free or get them to Canada. Mm-hmm. And so that was no question. So they did it. And so they worked they worked together with the Quakers and the Westlands, who were predominantly white, all white, and they worked together uh, to do the work of the Underground Railroad in this community uh, for a long time.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's, it sounds like you've done a lot of research on this. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and I mean, you said the stories were told. So what, yeah. what was it like learning some of those stories?
3: It's, it's been, um, you know, you grow up and just like for years, my family reunion has been out there for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like family still, now a lot of people, reconstruction moved away. Right. You think, you think about like how they begin to people, industrial industrial revolution and people begin to move into cities and towns and, And how that changed that particular area. However, there's still people who own land out there. So I'm very familiar with going out there as a kid, going out there to the church, um, being there, and so that's that's the history uh, on my mother's side uh, that I'm very proud of. And like it's it, it also I think informs me today, right? I don't think that we just show up here and we just you know land here and you know this we start doing our thing. I think that. We look back, if we can understand our history, some of our history, how we got here, why we're here, and what are we continuing on that was started before we got here, right?
2: Yeah, and you choose to stay. Yeah,
3: you choose to stay. And so for me, um, this same church, Hills Chapel, so I planted a church six years ago, but I was the last official ch- pastor of Hills Chapel out there in Weaver in 2011. And then we I knew God was calling me to plant a church in the city of Marion that would be very much— Instrumental in terms of justice and reconciliation. Right. And so um, technically the church that we planted, Real Community Covenant Church, the legal name of Real Community Covenant Church is Hills Chapel Church, Hills Chapel Community Church. So we're still that that church that um, that story is still trying to be lived out within the city of Marion as well. But we also didn't want to take that name because uh, we own the property out there. We own that land out there. And we also want to restore the story mm-hmm. in that place right? and and tell that story and use that for reconciliation conversations and other things. Right. And Use that space and place because space, space and place matters. And so there is some of the history of my journey of how I got here. Obviously, uh, my mother, I grew up in a single parent home. Uh, my father was in prison for much of my early life grew up in a single parent home um, of a mother who lost her mother when she was five years old. Mm. And so my grandfather, I lived with my grandfather and my mom, she had me when she was 15 years old um, and she struggled for much of my life, single parent. Um, and I just watched my mom do the best she could, what she had. And, um, and she, she did a great job, you know? And so um, went through Marion community schools uh, kind of was in and out of church growing up. I grew up in church, but now I, w- I never really followed Jesus. I was just in church. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't until get late, up,
2: Drew, you gotta go. come
3: on, yeah. come on. Yeah. we're going. get yeah. in the car. yeah, and it wasn't until uh, really my adulthood, my mid twenties where I really um, really made a decision to say, you know what is what is my life? What am I doing with my life? Um, I had been traveling and been all over the place. I had a friend who was an NBA, M- and I just had access to a whole other world. And at the end of the day, there was just emptiness. And so there was an emptiness that I could not uh, kick. I just knew I was like, man, this life promises so much, man. This thing <laughs> is empty. Yeah. And so it just led me back to the church that I grew up in, actually, which is Caddy Corner, a par- across from where we planted this church here. And so very even much attached to that same church and still talk to the same pastor that I grew up with. He's still the pastor of the church there.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so um, there's some of my story, right? Um, I think in terms of even my call and mission, like uh, so I'm biracial. My father's white, my mother's black, and I'm very much aware of racial dynamics that are at play in, in our world, in our community, in our society. Um, I, I very much expe- have experienced it. I feel it. I think reconciliation happens within my own body um, with what's happening in the world and the things that I've experienced in my life and the things that I, I feel right. This intuition that I have because of being biracial, I understand fully how things work. Um, and so even implanting in, in this church the church that's intentionally multi-ethnic, multi-class, uh, and, and, and it's, in, unfortunately you have to say that, uh, because you don't want to, like you just assume that the church is like this diverse place, right? You read the Bible and it's like the church is is a, but it's not right. But it's absolutely yeah. not. And so then I think for us, it's like being intentional on naming this. In saying this is our pursuit we believe that the holy spirit empowers us to live out this kind of love together multi-class and multi-ethnic because you can be multi-ethnic or diverse but not be diverse in class which presents a whole nother problem in itself right because i've watched black and brown people my whole life uh, as soon as they get the, the, the real they money, the, the real color, move, right? the real color, I think that we really need to be talking about is green, green. right? <laughs> because I watch black and brown people all of a sudden acquire some money and wealth and all of a sudden racial justice is not an issue no more. Right. It's not an right. issue. And let me say this, too, because I don't think this is mentioned enough. I also understand the disparities amongst poor whites. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's family uh, come from the Appalachians. Uh, And so historically, Virginia fought. So I have relatives, one, African-American free blacks who fought for the Union and on my father's side fought for the Confederate. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You talk about you talk about a unique history.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, That Dixie line is for. real. Yeah.
3: And so, like, um, I also understand white poverty. I grew up with white poor white friends and I understand the dynamics that are at play there, which Mm -hmm. are also part of a systemic issue. Right. Right. Because it was poor whites before enslaved blacks, before blacks were brought over to be slaves, poor whites were the underclass, and so I don't think that we talk enough about this either, right? I'm reading mm-hmm. a book right now called uh, White Trash, and mm-hmm. it's dealing with uh, this 400 year or this this I- issue of class in America, right? That we don't mm-hmm. often talk about, and so uh, I even think about even as we work continue to work through racism, we got to get to capitalism and classism, yeah. and I think that that's going to be a much harder conversation.
1: I agree. Yeah. Listening to you speak, and and I don't know you all yeah. that well. There's certain things in your story that I'm like, oh, I connect to that. Oh, I understand yeah. that. I um, moved here from North Carolina. I shared growing up in Marion, it was kind of interesting. I always felt like um, I experienced more race issues in growing up in Marion than I did in North Carolina, simply because they kind of educated us in North Carolina. Yeah. Like you you could go to the grocery store and see multiple bathrooms multiple sinks multiple water fountains whatever separate entrances um so they kind of had to explain it to us very very early <laughs> they
2: didn't have a choice they, they had didn't have to. a choice it was in mm-hmm. our face right mm-hmm. so when,
1: when i came here i always had this perception like oh this is the north and everybody's free i was born south on the macy dixie line yeah. my family's from west virginia you know so it's uh it, it was just a very interesting kind of culture shock and so i have always expressed at least from my perspective, my biggest challenge is that socioeconomic piece, yeah. right? My family was poor to maybe just barely middle class and, um, understanding that and seeing that as an issue because that crosses that racial line, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And people are judged based on what they wear, where they come yeah. from or what neighborhood they grew up in that type of thing. Um, my husband's family is from the south side of marion so definitely experiencing a lot of that um can you tell us a little bit about um since you were born raised yeah. family's always been here um you've church planted the yeah. real church i've not had any experience with the church but what yeah. i know it for is the preschool that's yeah. there yeah so can you share a little bit about how that came to be and your role yeah. in that
3: yeah yeah so as as we think about the church in its role, uh, I think oftentimes in terms of mercy, the church has done a a an amazingly good job of of dressing mercy. What when I, when I mean, what I say by mercy, I mean when someone's drowning, we'll pull them out of the water. Yeah. Right. That's. I think the church has done a phenomenal job of that. However, I don't think the church has put that equal effort into justice. Justice says. Why are the people drowning in, in the, the first water. place? <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Yeah.
3: the same people that we keep pulling out of the water. What's the issue with why they're in the water in the oh, first yeah. place, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that we both have to be reactive and proactive. You have to be, you have to have both, right, uh, to do justice well. And so for us, like you know, you know, t- traditional like food pantries and clothing giving you know, that that that's that can be a good gesture, but also can be part of the problem. Yes, as well, right because we're not addressing the root issues. And so this preschool, as one of the things that we talked about, uh, we talked about this preschool, like starting a preschool, because you have to get into the lives of children and families early on um, to address some of these challenges. One of the things that we talked about, West Virginia, University of West Virginia did, a, did some research and they discovered that by the time children are seven years old, they construct a racial bias. They basically uh, begin to assert value to human beings based on the color of their skin by who they see in leadership um, by what they see on TV, by what their parents talk about, by what the grandparents talk about, they, they've already constructed a racial bias. And so we have to be uh, in front of this. Right. And so what we started is preschool, which is now it's one to five years old to where what we're doing is, for one, it's what's unique about it is it's language immersion. Right. Uh, one of the things that we need to look at and be honest about in America is the fact that language. Right. Language is changing and Americans are some of the only people in the world that speak one language.
2: Right.
3: Right. You know, you go to Africa, you go to Asia, you go to Latin, Latin America. Multiple
2: languages. Mm -hmm. Multiple multiple languages, languages,
3: two and three and four languages. Mm -hmm. And so, like, what does that do for you culturally when you when you learn a different language? What does that do for you culturally, even academically? It's proven that learning a second language actually improves you in math you actually become a better math student as a result of that so as we think about children who grow up in challenging conditions even in our own community what's it look like to say hey we want to do things to help help catapult our children to get ahead of the game right right so we we want to help them do better in, in math here's another language not only that but culturally we want children to say you know what as a black brown or, or white student what's it look like for us to learn from brown women brown skinned women who this is their native language. So one of the things that we were we said we don't we don't want to hire someone right now who has learned this language, but is not part of the culture. Right. right. Typically, we see white people speaking Spanish and it's like, let's let's make them. But they don't understand the culture. They're not from the culture. Not saying that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the work around racial justice that we're trying to do, children, black and white need to say, you know what? We need to learn from brown skin Latinas. Right. We need to learn from them and what that does for them, right? And our 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 director of our preschool is our executive pastor, who's an African American man, dark skinned African American man, beautiful man, mm-hmm. who's Pastor Ronnie Farmer. Mm-hmm. How many how many preschools do you know? Can you go to to say we've seen men for okay. one for
2: one white men?
3: I haven't seen that yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. in a preschool in right. a preschool. But mm-hmm.
3: well, here's a black man who's running a preschool, right? What's that do for those children who are coming in there, right? For what's that doing for white kids who may have who may not ever, ever in their life experience another black male and leadership in the school system or for black or brown children who are seeing people of color in a leadership position and loving them well. Right. What's that do in terms of preparing them for the world and helping them to be culturally aware and understand that? Black and brown is not bad, but it's all good, right? Yes. So this is what this is what we're doing in this preschool, and we're being very intentional about it. We're not like oh, this is you know no, this is what we're doing. Yeah, no, this is good news. This, this is, is this mm-hmm. is how we address justice, and it's also helping children through you emo- know, we're also partnering uh, to help children work through some emotional challenges as well, uh, because I think you 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 don't live in Marion and not deal with deal with poverty. You're going to deal with some emotional distress, yeah. trauma. Mm-hmm. trauma, trauma, right? Trauma. And so that's a large part of our, of of our community is, is, is trauma. People who have been through trauma.
2: Where we landed is sponsored today by KB computers located in the Boston Hill center in Marion. When you find yourself in need of computer repair, web services, or business it KB computers is able to help. You will work directly with the local team that can meet your needs with amazing customer service. Open Monday through Thursday, 9 to 5.30, and Friday from 9 to 5, the KB Computer team is ready to help. Just give them a call at 765-668-7700 or reach them via Facebook at facebook.com slash inc. Thank you to KB Computers for sponsoring today's podcast.
1: Well, and even helping, I think, our children understand that if they – Um, are in those spaces. Like I think about my son who's lived in a very middle-class family almost his entire life, but yet he has friends that are foster kids that have experienced, you know, divorces and traumas and things in their life, but they come into our household, they experience something very different, which is awesome, but Gavin's trying to figure out, so how do I... Help this friend. How do I engage Mm -hmm. with this friend? He doesn't have a whole bunch of people that all look like him either. So I really think it's impressive what you're doing, not only from my work standpoint, but again, it speaks, I think, to the core of why I end up in in the work that I'm in. Um, I don't know much other than you graduated with Iris yeah. from, so no. I graduated. No, it was
2: a year later. He was, was 2000. 2000. Okay. Mm-hmm. I
1: graduated in 98. Mm-hmm. Kylie's rolling her eyes at me because I'm <laughs> old. <Yeah. laughs> it's fine. So I graduated in 98 from Marion high school. Um, and we know our struggles and stuff like that, that we saw there. I had a very diverse group of friends in that particular graduating class. Um, what does, um, how did that impact you? Um, and what does your family and friend network look like now?
3: With school or growing up? Or? Yeah, just uh, school in general.
1: You know, I, yeah. think,
3: I think for one, yeah. Marion Community Schools is the most diverse school in this county, right? Mm-hmm. I grew yes, up in Marion. And mm-hmm. so uh, there's, it's, it's the most diverse school in this county. Um, and so for me, it was normal, right? Yeah. Being around black, brown, and white people. Growing kids, growing up was more like I just think about the Ortegas and the Trevinos, right? I, the is, These are these are all Latino families that the I grew is. up with, right? The <laughs> Pianos, right? The
0: the and so the rank like these are so the these, are, these
3: are these are my friends growing up. And so this for me, I always um, this was normal for me, right? It homage, it, you know, being homogenous is unnormal for me. Mm-hmm. And so, and I also think it just helps you to see the a much. Much wider perspective on the world, right? I think it. I think it. There's benefits to this. Humongous, tremendous benefits to growing up in a, divi- in a diverse community, and so that's informed me. Like I think that you know. So as I thought about the church, I grew up in the African American church, right? I grew up in a black church, and I would also go to white churches. And as very early age, I started asking myself, like, I, I read the Bible. This talks about oneness and unity. I see this multi ethnic group of people standing before the throne of Jesus in Revelation seven nine. What's going on here? Why are we right? all divided? Why are we divided? However, you understand history. Mm-hmm. You understand what happened. You know you you understand enslavement. You understand the things that created the black church. The white church created the black church at the very beginning, right? Yeah. Why was this? Because if you go back to United Methodist Church in history in Philadelphia, this is where it started. Why 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 did the African Methodist Episcopal Church start? Well, the United Methodist Church. Did not want to ordain blacks and also did not see blacks as equals who were coming to their church. So what happened? This group, Richard Allen, Absalom Jones, they said, all right, we'll start. We'll just do our own thing. So yep. you see, this is where the black church starts in America. And it starts because of segregation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. inequality. Right. And so then when you understand that history, it's like, OK, how do we begin to to reconcile this as in the church. And so I think in the school system, some places in the world, in the school system and sports that oftentimes have been more progressive in these areas than the church. Yeah. So, um, so, but the church also informed me, like the church, there, there's some beautiful things that I learned in African-American church that I still hold deeply and I value today in terms of resist the resistance, right? To resistance and resiliency to dominant culture, right? There's some things that I just learned that were just part of my formation growing up. And it's just like, you know what, this is actually beneficial towards me in my pursuits of what God is calling the kingdom of God. Right. And, in God's beautiful picture of the kingdom of God, you have to be willing to resist dominant cultures, uh, norm mm-hmm. to, to actually even begin to live into the kingdom.
1: Yeah. I feel like I went to a lot of African-American churches when I was in, when I was younger in North Carolina and I was the only white kid in the church that I went to, I went with my best friend, Shanita and Um, going to church up here it makes me giggle because I still don't think that there's much better praise than I've ever seen in just like those fully black like (laughs) black churches know how to praise God and (laughs) sing and give love through cooking and that type of thing and in the green room a little bit ago we were talking about throw down on cooking and there's Something you do in your home yeah, that uh, I, uh, Iris I, I is I looking to get cook. invited to. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. why don't we talk about that a little bit? Uh,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I, I don't know if you named it the Drew Bocce, but I've, 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 <laughs> a, I've accepted it. But uh, you're you're pretty skilled on your Blackstone.
3: Yeah, I, I love the Blackstone. I love to cook. I love the host. I love to be with people. And I love to try new things. So it, uh, it I, I get all of this in one thing right, by cooking on this Blackstone and inviting people over to eat. And so I love it.
2: <laughs> and, I, and I usually miss because he'll post on Instagram. So one of these times I'm going to catch him while he's out there cooking and I'll just like drive through and be like, I need it to go, Box. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think he needs to host the podcast. Yeah. Like maybe mm-hmm. we just come over one day and do a podcast from Cooking on the Blackstone. Could be our
0: on location debut. Yeah, I'm fine with that. that. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Drew, you mentioned um growing up in the church, but not really feeling connected or that that was your calling maybe yeah. until later in your mid 20s. What was that like? Um, coming back into that church community, um, I mean, they they knew you yeah. from growing up yeah. oh, there. Yeah. Oh yeah. How were you? What was that process like? Yeah. Being accepted back into that.
3: I think one of the, my the key. I mean, if I look at um, greatest influences in terms of like Christian figures, I had to look at my grandmother Dolores Morel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was always there. Uh, she was faithful to God. I remember watching her pray, cry. Um, worship praise, um, all at the same time, right in church. And I just, she's, I mean, she's one of the biggest reasons why I ever became, got into the church and became a Christian in the first mm-hmm. place. And so she was there. So then somebody that, you know, is there that, you know, that loves you is there. Um, you go there. Right. And so for me, I knew I was always welcome there. My grandmother was there, right. And family were there. So I, I knew that I was always going to be welcome there and you know the lord was the lord was waiting on me i wasn't waiting on the lord the lord was waiting on me to to turn around and turn back to him and so uh i was received with with open arms with welcome with hospitality and excitement right Mm. and so that was that was an easy call it was whether or not i was ready to give up my life of sin (laughs) that was the (laughs) issue right and so um uh but no, i was i was received with open arms and welcome and love and and I was like, this, this is what we've been waiting for. Right.
1: So how would you speak into someone who maybe wouldn't have that in their life, you know, and they're trying to come to a space, they're listening to you here on yeah. the podcast and thinking, you know, maybe I want to be a part of that. How does that translate? Cause I know I've tried to look for home churches and stuff like that quite a bit in the community. And so yeah, have any advice,
3: it, it's a good question. Um, Because I think that, uh, you know, the the worship experience can be a place, right, the, where, 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 where Christians are already gathering and worshiping, like people who may not be in the church or what we would consider people maybe who are not yet of the faith or how, whatever, whatever term you want to use to describe that, there's still a place in which you can go and you can kind of see, you know, what's going on here? Why are people worshiping God? What's the experience like? What are they teaching? And I think that that in itself can be a place of welcome, but you also have to understand as someone from who may be from you might call yourself from the outside or who's not part of this worshiping community, that this is what they do. This is what they believe. This is how they praise. This is how they worship. Right. Mm-hmm. And there is a place that people should be welcoming. You go into a church. I hope that people greet you, hope that people recognize that maybe you haven't been there. They don't you're, you're a new face and they meet you and greet you and say hello and acknowledge your presence. I think I hope that 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 happens. However, I don't always know that that's the best way. Right. I think that um, when I read the Bible and I read the ways in which Jesus um, interacts with people or with disciples interact with people, they didn't say, hey, come to church. Right. Um, They spent time with them. So, like, I hope my hope is that people who are out here, I hope that there's Christians who have been reaching out to them. Who have been trying to connect with them have lunch invite them over for dinner or even come to your house for dinner i hope that that can be the experience i hope because I don't, i'm not sure always going to the church service the worship service is always the best thing it can be and it can be powerful to see how people worship and praise god however it all depends upon what you know before you go there right mm-hmm. if you don't know anything you walk in you're like man, what is this what are these people doing right and I, say, I so I think that sometimes it's, it depends upon relationships that you have with people who may be of faith, right? And I think that's important because I think Jesus calls us to make disciples go out. Mm-hmm. And so part of the normal Christian life for people who are following Jesus is that we should be having our eyes on people who may be out struggling or not in the faith. Or we should have our eyes on them and we should be inviting them into our lives, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I encourage people to invite invite somebody into your home before you invite them to church.
0: Yeah. yeah. This um this conversation reminds me you were talking off air about some of maybe the unintentional kind of wraparound services that yeah. have started to sprout up in the building that your yeah. your church plant is. You want to talk a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah. You
3: know? So in our building, uh, we bought this building from area community schools for ten dollars. It's a thirty four thousand square foot building, and it's right in the center of our community. It's the old, um, actually, it's the old Clayton Brownlee Elementary School <laughs> that was built in the fifties. And then it was remodeled in the 80s and turned into the esc the educational service center or ecs building ecs ecs, E-C-S educational service center or s- yeah something like yeah. center <laughs> service ah, whatever anyways
0: see- are hard. yeah yeah
3: <laughs> admin building yeah that's what I, <laughs> my grandmother used to work there I, I remember going there when i was younger and so when we bought this building like the the intention of the church from this very inception was to be holistic in nature, right? I think part of the ways in which, I mean, we've all, I think the church has failed in some ways. The church has done some beautiful things historically, and I think there's there's things that we've erred in. And I think one of the ways that we have erred in terms of uh, our church is is what we do with our buildings, right? If buildings are these elaborate places and spaces that we only worship in on Sundays, how do we use these buildings throughout Monday through Saturday to be a place of peace or a place of shalom or restoration for our community? There's, there's some great challenges in our community and worship is not only going to church and raising your hands on Sunday. Work to, worship is also loving mercy, doing justice, right? Walking humbly with God. And so then how do we leverage our assets and our buildings and whatever it is that we possess for the good of our neighbors? And so we bought this building, and what we've seen was a way in which we could do ministry and partner with others to make a, a, a bigger impact for our community and neighborhood. And so right now, obviously, the church, we started a preschool academy, the I Have a Dream mm-hmm. Preschool Academy, which we mentioned earlier. However, there are other um, organizations that are in our space, leasing space. Um, I think about the Adult Education Program, which is also through Marion Community Schools. It's, 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 it's you know organized through Marion Community Schools. And it's part of their um, kind of their their vocational um, program, but it's in our building. And so throughout the week, Monday through Friday, you can go in for adults. 13% of our county does not have a high school diploma, right? 13% of our county does not have a high school diploma. So they're in there trying to help adults um, get their high school diploma through the, uh, we used to call it GED, now it's called the High school equivalent, HSC, yeah. high school equivalency. equivalency. So another
1: ES type. Yeah. Alphabet soup. Yep. <laughs> so there's
3: yeah. that. We have the Family Resource Center in our in our building. Also, uh, we share space with them. They're in there to help families um, get to a place in which children are no longer mistreated, right? And so, because of poverty, we also know that child maltreatment is something that happens, right? And so, children are being mistreated as a result of poverty. And so the, the Family Resource Center, which is headed up by Christina Chandler, she's doing a phenomenal job with this. They're here to uh, help families from getting to a place to where things happen to children, right? This is more reactive than it is proactive. And so they offer counseling, they offer food, they offer c- clothes, they offer uh, resources for finances. They offer vouchers, I mean, they help vouchers for preschool. I mean, they, there's there's lots of different things, but they wanna see families to th- thrive and flourish, right? Yeah. And so then, lending hands home health care—they're a business that's owned by a black woman by the name of Shannon Tompkins, um, minority-owned business. They lease office space in our building as well for a home health. I and mean, literally, people have come into the church for prayer. And then you know, okay, we're gonna pray. Now what? Now what else? Right? That's that's the first stage. I need to get my GD. Let's go over and get you enrolled in the GD, right? And then on the way out the door, they got a job. So, like, as I think about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's holistic in nature. It's not just about our souls being in heaven later on. God very much cares about our well-being here and now on earth and and desires for humanity and creation to flourish now. And so what's it look like for the church to reimagine our places and spaces and how we use them and leverage them for the good of our neighbor? Mm -hmm.
2: Well, we would be in big, big trouble if we didn't ask you to talk about family. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You did the so, right thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, so I, I, it's, so. it's very important that I need you to talk about, yeah. like, my second favorite person after yeah. my children, yeah. Um, Casey. Yeah, my wife, Casey. Yeah. Um,
3: I love my wife. Uh, beautiful woman. I love her, too. And, uh she i'm so proud of her so my wife casey we've been married for 12 years been together i heard, heard this last night <laughs> we, had, we had a little disagreement last night she said i've been here for 15 years we've been married for 12 and so been married for 12 years you, uh, you need to
2: tell her thank you for that too by yeah like. absolutely <laughs> remind, remind her and thank so you 15
3: much. and so um uh, my wife casey and then we have two older children wyatt and madison they're out of the house um tw- soon to be 25 and 23. um and then we have Sophia. Sophia is uh, or 24 and 22, sorry, 24 and 22. White. And then Sophia is 12, soon to be 13 um, this year. In September, she'll be 13. And so, yeah, I, I love my family greatly. My daughter's in Taekwondo. My wife, she was a young mother. She had kids when she was a teenager. And so young mothers. I I, I was raised by a young mom. Mm-hmm. And young moms do what they have to do to raise their children, take care of the home. And then the, their, their father wasn't there for a, a significant amount of time. So she was holding it down. And now uh, the two oldest are gone. Sophia's at age. We, I, I work, you know, and so there's support. I'm there. I'm present. And so now she she doesn't have to hold all that by herself, right? And so now she's like.
1: But it's weird to not have to hold it all
3: by herself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So she's like. Yeah. Uh, what did I want to do again before I had kids? And like, she wanted, <laughs> you know, she's always had this dream of being a nurse. So she last year, um, she enrolled in nursing she, she's going to Ivy Tech for nursing. So she wants awesome. to get her LPN, Amazing. but then she said she'll probably get her RN. Yes. And so like for me, it's like, I'm serving my wife, you know, I'm just out here.
1: You're she, holding it down.
3: Yeah. And I'm <laughs> totally fine with that because she's done that for me as well. So yeah. I went to school for ministry and I worked and planted a church, my wife has been with me. And so now I, my focus is like, and Sophie is like, we're gonna hold this house down, and let Mom just focus on schoolwork and work. Right? That's what, that's all she needs to worry about. I do the cooking, do the cleaning. Um, me and Sophie do a lot of the cleaning. Now Casey still does some cleaning too, um, because I don't always do it up to her standards.
2: Exactly. <laughs> but that's the thing. Back, if
3: you go, if I'm the one that's cleaning,
2: you got to be okay with it. You got to be okay yeah, with the way right. I'm doing it now.
3: Back up off me now. Mm-hmm.
2: Now uh,
1: I, I will share. <laughs> I'm thinking about you know you and Sophie are holding it down. What a great example it is for her yeah. to see that influences the type of man that she will have in her life, yeah. the expectation that she has for this is the type of care. Yeah. This is the type of man that needs to have my back. Yeah. You need to be as good as my daddy. Yeah, And then to have her see that type of partnership and relationship where dad did this and now it's mom's turn and he's really leaning into that space. And um, so kudos to you for setting yeah. that type of, these, of example.
3: Some of these guys kill me. I know some of these guys out here, right? And they say stuff like, you know, I think that the, I think that the job of home and raising kids is the most important job there is. Oh, crap, man! No, you don't. <laughs> right. Because if you did, you'd be doing it. You'd you do it when it comes helping. to real estate. You do it when it comes to being a lawyer. Like men dominate. Men dominate all of these other, all these other arenas. Right. Right. So why not dominate being being the the, the, the mom dad or dad mom or whatever you want to call it? Right. Why, why <laughs> right. not stay home and do you know?
2: There's nothing wrong with Dominate matching home. those socks.
3: There you go. Why don't we do that? Right. And so men kill me when they say, oh, yeah, this most important thing is for wives to be at home watching over the house and the children. No, you don't really believe that, or you would be doing it.
1: Or you wouldn't have a problem doing it if your wife said, yes. hey, I want to go to work and you do this. Preach, sister. We yes. we giggle at our house because I don't cook. Now, it's not because I can't cook or I don't want to cook. It's because Steve's a better cook than me. Yeah. So we started, We Iris and I share about our non negotiables. So we set an agreement long time ago that he cooks and I'll do the dishes. Yeah. But as we've now got teenage kids that play sports and stuff like that, I'm like, I love the fact that, you know, you cook, I do the dishes, but we don't have a dishwasher. I hand wash dishes. And so that sink is full of dishes. Somebody needs to help me with dishes. That's right. Because you know? yeah. there's four of us. That's you right. Know? So um, I just think it's really impressive to, to see you setting that standard yeah. and I'm to trying. think about How you are going to handle the type of uh, boy, man that your daughter brings home for the first time.
2: (laughs) Well, Drew, I also know that uh, you read a lot. You consume a lot. Um, Obviously, a lot of it is based off of your profession and your Mm -hmm. passion. Um, But what do you read when you just need something to
3: read. That's a good question. Yeah. Well I just need something something
2: to just like sneak away and it doesn't have to feel so heavy no. or
3: so I, I I like reading deep spirituality. Yeah. So like uh you know I read a lot of stuff around discipleship or evangelism or justice. I would say that's more around my vocation. But I read things about deep spirituality like Richard Foster or Thomas Merton or like um historical figures, Mother Teresa, Dorothy Day and I like to read about like their faith and what got them through and like the deep things of God. Like I like, you know, I, I'm a very deep thinker and I love and that for me, that's not that's not work. That's that's me going to a place of awe and like, wow, God, you're so amazing and so much bigger than sometimes I imagine. And so, yeah, the, I would say deep spirituality. Is, so And you really.
2: also shared with me a podcast that we need to listen to. Do you remember which one that was?
3: The podcast that we now. What, fo- what
2: podcast do you listen to? There was uh, one that you told me. Yeah. And right I was where like, we, we have to it. bring it up. Yeah. I, so, up.
3: one of my favorite podcasts is uh, as a pastor, some people are like, wait, what? What's he's, guy?
2: he's getting a little pink. Yeah. <laughs> listeners, to yeah so you know.
3: My favorite podcast is Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I love so it. So, two
3: people in my life, my, my two favorite athletes are Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. And my, I love it. And Mike Tyson. And, Much of the reason why is because they have been so authentic and real about their lives that I just, I I value that. And so um, I come from some of the same brokers, not all of it, but some, I can, I can relate with some of it. And it's like, let's not hide this stuff. Right. Let's, let's talk about this. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say, and uh, again, I'm, just kudos to you. I mean, the one thing that I admire so much about you is your willingness to accept your full story Mm. um, and bring your full self to everyone and every person that Mm. you meet. Um, You don't hide things. I mean, I live in a space of, you know, I grew up trying to be this perfectionist and trying to be this and trying to be that to everybody that needed it. So for me, like being vulnerable sometimes is really challenging. um,
0: But I appreciate that from you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. that. means
3: a lot. That's mm-hmm. it's one of my intentional things that I try to do yeah. in life. Yeah.
0: Before we wrap up, I know you're trying to wind things down, but you mentioned in your introduction maybe some <laughs> McCullough Bear beef, and I don't want to let the moment pass. So is there anything anything we need to air here? Oh,
2: no, we didn't have any beef. We both were bears. Yeah. We both went to McCullough. Yeah, but he
1: picked on you or
3: something. Yeah, some yeah you said you, said went, you, had, you said had a dude, bone yeah, to pick with me you, what you said. Yeah, said. yeah
2: Drew, I, I was baited by some Facebook thing that he posted one time, and I got it incorrect, and dude went digging. Back into middle school sadness (laughs) pictures.
3: Oh, yeah. (laughs) And
2: made me post it. His words to me were. I'll know, I know you'll do the right thing.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was In- like, uh, I totally when, when you when your pastor tells you, I know you'll do the right thing. Yeah. That's or like something. a little bit.
2: Say, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, glasses, braces, don't know how to fix your hair. Yep. It was that picture. You Middle school challenge. I think you, that's what it was. You
1: didn't understand the level of research yeah. this man does. Well, I, I
0: understand fun. that now. I understand
2: that now. For fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've discovered that, you know, history is your superpower. And, um, <laughs> yeah oh yes yeah, so what are you talking t- about so
1: here's i think a good way to settle that beef because also in the green room we were talking oh. about a throw down challenge over some uh, biscuits and gravy oh yeah down for that oh yeah and so i think there needs to be a throw down challenge between the two of i think you we could do that
0: i yeah. i think you will I, be surprised by my gravy and i think scott Elise, and i would be well, great perfect. judges of that oh um, yeah,
1: yeah okay all right. We need
3: to... I think I would appreciate your gravy as well. Uh-huh. I don't see it as yeah. a competition. Yeah. <laughs> I, mutual admiration I, I really see, I it it. A uh, I hold hold see it on. as a collaboration. I don't see it as a competition. Hold on. I need to
2: rewind. It's not mine. Um, it is... My dad has curated this biscuits and gravy, and I'm also often reminded by my children that I don't make it the same, even though I make it
1: exactly the same. <laughs> just gonna, just gonna put that there. But
2: yeah. oh, you don't yeah. have the love. It's, it's
1: pretty phenomenal. A, you don't make it with the, secret, the love. Secret ingredient love. It's pretty <laughs> phenomenal. Put your foot in it. Yeah, put your foot in. It. Uh. Put my foot in it. <laughs>
2: that's good stuff
1: well andrew we have had so much fun having you on the podcast today i really appreciate learning about you and experiencing uh, just getting to know you and your passion and your faith and love for this community a little bit better and a little bit about the history of you know, Weaver and I know a lot of the different people in those families and mm-hmm. stuff. So understanding the full history of that's been a lot of fun. So thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you to listening to this episode of Where We Landed. We drop every Thursday with a new episode and we will be back next Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. See ya.
3: Today's podcast was engineered by Kyra Montero of Frequency Canvas.